0: Hi, I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The CoLab, which is a member-led, inclusive, global networking community for fashion, beauty, wellness, retail, and consumer luxury professionals. I started this group in the midst of the pandemic when I realized how many of us in this industry across the world were looking for pivots and next steps. I know when I started my career, I wanted more mentors and I needed more people to lean on and to learn from. So I hope you will listen to our stories and learn from them. Every Tuesday, we'll have a member interviewing another member, and on Thursday, they'll reverse. So stay tuned for the next episode, and be sure to hear both sides of the story. Thanks for being here. Hello, CoLabbers. This is Sarah Stewart-Stevens, and I'm in Austin, Texas with the Division of Textiles and Apparel at the University of Texas, and it is my great pleasure to introduce um our another collaborer, um Pamela Roskin here with us today.
1: Oh, Sarah, you did such a good intro. I loved it. <laughs> you're a natural at this. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you you were so close to being like W H Y Y. This is Terry Gross. So yeah. that's really great. You you're great. I'm attempting to channel her. Right yeah. Now.
0: So Pamela, thank you for being here. We're excited to learn Thanks more about you. Me. And I think that you and I are paired um, today on this podcast, primarily because we're both educators. So you're yeah. you're with Parsons. My um correct there. Yep. And then yep. you also are a jewelry designer and president of Pamela Roskin Jewelry. So Talk to us about
1: those roles. Um, well, you know, we mentioned in your interview about the nonlinear path, and I got to both of those places really through uh, nonlinear means. Um, I had never intended to end up teaching, but I, I love it and I'm grateful for, for it, Um and then the jewelry, I, I never said, I think most people end up in jewelry because they love jewelry.
0: Mm.
1: And um, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't love jewelry. I love people. I love ideas. I love concepts. Um, jewelry is like a thing. It's an inanimate object. Um, mm. It can be beautiful. We can attach meaning to it, but it's, ultimately all the work around jewelry that I enjoy. I like working with people. I like designing. I like design challenges. Um, I like designing really good sellable jewelry that to me is like a fun puzzle. Um, and I, I really ended up there. I ended up a jeweler because of my marriage and subsequent divorce. So, um, that's where the journey began. My, um, my ex-husband's family had a jewelry company and, um, his stepfather and his mother were aging out of it and they asked him to run it. And he wasn't, um, he wasn't that interesting jewelry, which is not a huge surprise. I think family businesses are hard to be straddled with anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, He didn't want it. He really didn't want it. But, you know, he kept at it because there was there was money there. And then in the divorce, he got the jewelry company. Um, So I was like, okay, fine, moving on to something else. And then the artisans that we had worked with previously in Bali wrote me and they're like, look, the jewelry business is over. We have no work. Do you want to work with us? And I so that's when I started. I was like, well. I mean, what else do I have to lose? Right. So I knew the jewelry business. I had been doing it for a while. Um, so I just started my own company and, and, um, I had contacts at QVC and that was the beginning of Pamela Roskin jewelry.
0: Wonderful. So you, you talked about your divorce and, and getting mm-hmm. into Pamela Roskin jewelry, back it up a little bit. Cause I think we yeah. skipped over your early life. So tell us where you oh, grew yeah, up. Yeah.
1: And... Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania in rural Pennsylvania. Um, and I ended up going out West for college. I went to Lewis and Clark college in Portland, Oregon, and I studied history and art history. Okay. And then I moved to New York and I actually worked in book publishing for over 10 years. I did marketing and book publishing. And it's funny that I'm being interviewed. You know, I, I think people kind of associate me with with fashion, but that I'm being interviewed in a, in the fashion collab because at my heart, I'll always con- kind of consider myself someone who used to work in book publishing. <laughs> okay, like, You know, like people, like people don't really, you leave book publishing, but you don't ever really leave book publishing. You're always still so interested in the stories and who's going where and it's such a small little industry. Mm-hmm. Um, And book publishing is great for people who like me, don't know what they want to do. And maybe they like ideas and they like reading and Um, so I ended up in book publishing for, for 10 years, over 10 years. And I, I knew where the industry was going. Um, the industry was not a growth industry and I could see the writing on the wall. I noticed what happened in book publishing is that you'd get to a certain point in your career and, um, a new publisher would come in and they would just lay off all the top level people, mm. and a few people would survive, but others would have to find new work. And I thought, Pamela, do you want to get to a certain age in your career and have to start over, or do you want to like be in control of that career change? So I, 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 I mean, that was something I really grappled with, and I, I remember like similar a similar story to you. I w- I remember exactly where I was. I was out for dinner. I was out to dinner with my sister and, um, the guy she was dating who would become her husband later. And I remember just talking, like, if only I could go back to grad school and study, like the history of fashion, then that would be something. And I didn't even realize that a graduate degree existed in that. Mm. And I Googled it and there was a graduate degree at FIT that was being offered. And, um, I went and I talked to them and I talked to Denise Montague, who was at the time the chair of the program. And I, I just loved it. I loved it. I loved that program. Um, and it was absolutely the right place for me. Like those two years of my life being in that graduate program were amazing for me. So
0: you talk about loving it. What was like, looking back, was there a key takeaway or thing that you loved?
1: You know what I loved because I went back at I think I was 30 when I started. Or maybe I was 31, I don't remember. Um, but I was old enough to know that going to school is a luxury and getting to sit in a classroom and just learn is a luxury. Mm. And it it felt like I was at a spa every day, like that I got to go to classes and just learn. Nobody was asking me, you know, where is where is that um you know, where is that budget report or something? Or like, did you hit your sales targets? You know, it was just for me. And mm-hmm. um, um, so it wasn't, a, It was, I mean, the program was great, but the process of going back to school was really nice too.
0: I love, we have so many things in common. You know, we're both educators now. And, and I also went back to school. I think I was 33
1: uh-huh.
0: when I went back to school. So you went back at 30 and I went back at 33 and it i agree it was it felt like a luxury
1: yeah yeah
0: I was a better learner i was a better
1: learner yeah yeah you know what was so funny like you you study textile science and part of the program that i went through was um it was half curatorial and it was half half conservation and i i swear i just like you know I'd phone in the conservation part because I was like, that's science. I'm not interested in it. But I ended up loving it. And I'm like, why challenge? Why tell myself? I'm an adult now. You know, my younger self was like not into science. But the adult version of me got really into the science behind uh, textile conservation. And I thought long and hard about just going that path instead of curatorial. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, and you can be surprised about what you're interested in and what you're capable of learning. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the flip side of that is what if you had learned science in an applied way as a kid, right? Like you know, this conceptual thing.
1: Yep. Yep. I mean, I think it, I, and maybe, um, yeah, just in the way they taught science, it was so the other thing is, to be honest, like my, my conservation classes, and it was random. It wasn't a, FIT is not a women's only school, but there were only women in the classroom. Mm. And it was just um, nice to be treated and talk to like a colleague mm. and um, how empowering that can be. That's a great call out, right? And I think it
0: likely gave you confidence. Did you yeah. feel that way?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I try and do the same with my students now.
0: Yeah. It's neat to come to hear that and think about you coming full circle to be able to share in your experiences from yeah. what you learned in a meaningful way. Yeah. Okay, so thinking through you, you loved FIT your program um, mm-hmm. and from there you went to Ralph Lauren.
1: Yep. And then, um, you know, it's funny cause I went to grad school thinking I would just kind of end up in book publishing again. Cause oh. I, I was like, yeah, cause I, I, it was like basically two years I was taking off to do this. And, um, I, you know, I knew I wanted to have a master's degree. I, I, I just knew I wasn't done with my education when I had my bachelor's. So I wanted to, I wanted to have a master's degree and I wanted it to be in something I enjoyed, which was definitely fashion and textile history, Mm -hmm. but I never expected that I would get a job afterwards. in it. I thought there's no way there are jobs in this. And there were, you know, um, and the head of my program suggested that I meet with Ralph Lauren and I did. And I, um, Worked on their archive project there. And then I ended up becoming um, in charge of their um, their textile archive. And I, wow. I, loved, I loved it there. I loved working with the designers. I, I was pregnant at Ralph. And, you know, this, this happens. The, I was pregnant at Ralph. And then I went back to work after my maternity leave. And um, it was just a lot. It was just a lot. I, I was working long hours and, um, that's, my mind was just in mom mode. And, um, so it was at that point that I decided to work full time on the jewelry business. And, um, and then I got a divorce and then a former teacher of mine, Diane Maglio, um, at FIT reached out to me and asked me if I would like to teach some, um, in the fashion and merchandising department at, um, Berkeley college. And I said, sure. And like you, I was so, I was so grateful for the steady income. Mm -hmm. I don't get paid a lot as a teacher, but I enjoy it. And it's, it's really nice to have like knowing that I'm going to have a paycheck and teaching is, is a, a good gig for a single mom. It's a hard gig financially, but, um, <laughs> it's nice having vacations that more or less align with his vacation that I'm not struggling to find, um, child care for him mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, yeah. also, She's...
0: I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, tell us about your son. How old is he? He's 10.
1: Wait, okay. how old is your daughter? 15. 15. Um, You know, the other thing about teaching that I didn't realize and I still struggle with, this is something I'm constantly struggling with, is that I am an expert in my field. And I never realized that until I'm teaching. And then students will ask me questions and I'm always surprised that I can answer them intelligently. I'm like, like, wait, I know all this. (laughs) Not only do I know all this, I can give them a bunch of books to read on the subject and like, you know... I, I definitely, definitely suffer from imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I, so it's, it's nice, it's nice to get in front of the classroom and remember, remind myself, I actually a, am an expert in some things.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, I'm smart. Am I, you have a jewelry business. Driving jewelry business. <laughs> you
1: know, it's really funny. I interviewed, um. I interviewed in the continuing ed program at Parsons because, uh, I had suggested to them that maybe I could teach a class on how to start your own jewelry business. And I started talking about, it's really funny because I've actually been working in the jewelry business since the, since 2002. I've okay. been working on and on off with the jewelry business. And I sell the QVC, which is one of the major, um, jewelry, um, uh, retailers in the United States. And it, um I always get so shy. And then I started talking to the head of the continuing ed Department at Persons. I just kept talking and talking, and talking about jewelry. And I thought, oh my God, I know what I'm talking about. Or when I start talk in talking in front of buyers, um, jewelry buyers, and I start talking about it, and I realize, oh yeah, I know a lot about jewelry. But I forget that I do. Mm.
0: And in those moments, mm-hmm. like how, what's the process like for you, you know, feeling imposter syndrome but then remembering that you know what you're talking about? Like, is it a split second decision?
1: Oh, it's so funny. Cause I get so nervous. I get so nervous. Cause see, I might know a lot, but there are people who know more than me, but at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. Like I, no. you know yeah. what I mean? Like it doesn't Absolutely. really matter. It's almost like, an inside laugh
0: mm.
1: when i when the automatic part of me starts talking about things, and I realize I can't believe you were scared. This is hilarious, yeah, like I've got this, so <laughs> yeah, and sure. you're like, wait a minute <laughs> i you know, and I don't mean to be so like yeah. gender um making blanket, blanket statements about gender. But I so know so many men who will know nothing about a subject matter. And they'll just um, talk as if they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I'm so jealous of it. Mm. I'm so jealous because I wish I had that fake authority to do that. About things that I might legitimately know about.
0: Yeah. And it, it, but it sounds like, or what I'm hearing is, you know, you don't have the fake authority, you have actual authority. And so it's that, you know, stepping into the the space with confidence. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, I also think, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, just embarking on my journey into my forties, but I'm hoping that and I hear that that will improve or increase with age.
1: Yeah, yeah 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 and it starts to I definitely see myself just letting that go, just letting it's just not important anymore. you know, I see it letting go, but then on the flip side, you know my my jewelry business is at a crossroads right now,
0: um talk to us about that,
1: yeah that. yeah, you know, and I'm not exactly sure what to to do with it, you know. Working with QVC is great, but they're not interested in my jewelry right now. They want really big brands mm. currently. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not a big brand. So I like do I continue down, down that path that I know? Here Here's my here's my my quandary. Something that I've always wanted to do, it, or the natural next step for my jewelry business, would be to work on higher end jewelry. To go, um, because the artisans that I'm working with are so talented, right. it's, it's almost beneath them to work in silver. And traditionally, um, Balinese jewelry was always gold. Okay. So, to stop with the middle market and just go completely upscale and do small, small quantities and not, not to work with QVC, but then that's really starting a whole new business. And I don't know if I have the energy to do it. I don't know if my interest is still there.
0: Hmm. Did this start pre COVID during COVID?
1: I had always, you know, I had actually, it's funny because I initially approached QVC So I make artists and crafted jewelry and I sell it on QVC, but QVC does huge quantities of things. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible to do, um, and QVC has really strict, good quality assurance measures in place. And it's very hard from a production standpoint to get um, that level of consistency with handmade pieces when you're dealing with SKUs of like 50,000 pieces. And I also feel like it's kind of not worth it for the artisans to be doing this level of work on silver. Right. So I had approached QVC that we should really be working with gold. You know, and part of their selling on on air is always about um, how this is traditional um, handwork that you're seeing, and that this is an expression of Balinese culture. And it is that's all true. But the Balinese traditionally have always made it in gold. So if you were going to go in that direction anyway, why not, you know, go for the gold? Right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. To misuse the phrase. So. Uh, I guess that's where I'm at right now. Do I just go off on my own? Because if you think about it, the business I've had now has been relatively safe. I don't really produce jewelry until I get an order from QVC. I'm just making samples. Wow, right. Um, So that's pretty low risk. And then when I get an order from QVC, that's that's when I produce jewelry. If I were to go out on my own, I'd have to invest in inventory that I don't have a purchase order from uh that I don't have a purchase order for so um you know i i i just don't know if i want to go there have
0: you set like a a timeline goal or a metric you know i'm going to be thinking about this over the next year or mm. or do you not think about it like that i'm interested to hear
1: um that would probably be really smart of me to think about it in that way I've been more trying to just um, like meditate on it and think mm-hmm. about where I want to go, and I'm approaching it from much a much more um, emotional level. But I'll, I think I'll know the answer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I hear that, and I'm I'm kind of a more like see, throw out all the spaghetti and see what sticks, gal. Yeah. And I hear the, the meditating and praying and journaling piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope that it will, or I know that it will, and I, I trust that it will emerge for you. I hope I, so. I went to Bali for the first time in January. Mm. Uh, it was wow. A joyful experience and got to see some of the, you know, how the villages
1: mm-hmm.
0: were, were specific to a craft.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you would travel around, you know, woodwork, silver, et cetera.
1: And those craft traditions are really um, dying. Although I wonder with COVID if there's been a resurgence in exploring them because, because a lot of people were leaving to just work in the hotel industry.
0: Right. Which I observed as well. I, I would love to investigate that further. You know, I think that geographically – specific skills and crafts handed down over generations is such a like remarkable a remarkable thing that we we can learn so much from and I think was there a what have you shared with your students Mm -hmm. that you've learned from your jewelry business
1: you know it's funny because I teach at both Parsons and at Berkeley and Burke at Berkeley I do uh, much more fashion merchandising management and at Parsons my work there is much more um, academic and theoretical and um, I share with my students about the jewelry all a lot but it's more in terms of I, I definitely sh- bring it completely into the classroom at Berkeley Um mm-hmm. And I actually, like, use my company as a teaching tool, which is really fun. And it's funny because I haven't been able to teach at Berkeley since the pandemic. And so much of my jewelry business was also tied to my teaching because they kind of fed off of one another. Um, And it became... the jewelry business was fun for me because using it as a teaching tool was fun. Mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to have a path forward with jewelry until I know what I'm doing with teaching
0: right and res- and vice versa yeah, we have that reciprocal
1: relationship, yeah, and yeah, it the the two were so connected to me mm-hmm. that um it's really hard for me and 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 now I'm not even getting any orders from QVC. It's like really hard for me to know what to do with it. But it's, it is something, it's funny because you, you introduced me as a jeweler and I'm like, am I a jeweler? I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Well, having been in the classroom for eight years myself, I acknowledge the importance of your deep level of understanding with that and the impact that it made with your students and makes with your students.
1: Thank thank you for saying that. I, I think it does help. Um, it's funny because I think the way fashion instruction has been heading has become so theoretical. I think that's great in terms of teaching broad minded students who can critically think, but at the end of the day, fashion is a business Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, and it's nice to just know that it's a business and that people um, are going to want to try and make money from it and uh, that that can be a rewarding experience too. Yeah, I,
0: I, don't, I feel like, you know, I mentioned I'm at the University of Texas and mm-hmm. we're actually going in a different direction. You know, we're attempting to balance the theory with more, practice and experience mm. learning
1: it's really easy at berkeley college for me to combine the two mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit of a bigger leap the way the parsons program is structured right
0: and yeah curriculum overhauls we're in the, the third year of a five-year curriculum overhaul so i know that the work that it would take to make those changes I'll be interested to see where all fashion education goes post-COVID.
1: You know, that's something I think about all the time. And for a while, persons seemed to me to be on the forefront in terms of putting sustainability first. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I hope they continue with that post-COVID.
0: Yeah. Well let, let yeah, let's keep our finger on, on the pulse of that to see how yeah. it emerges. Yeah. Um okay, question. hmm Just thinking, Please. you know, you've you've done so much and you know, being in publishing and archivists and having your masters in
1: is it in conservation and curation? So the, I could give you the name of the program, but it's a mouthful. All okay. right? Fashion and Textile Studies, History, Theory, and Museum Practice. Right. I think they've changed the name since then. They realized that was a book title.
0: I thought mine was long. You win.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How you know, you- they should have called it It would be funny to, like, add volume two on it or something, third edition. (laughs) (laughs) That's the old book publisher in me.
0: Bringing the worlds together. Yeah. Uh, So from your breadth of experiences and looking back, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I thought about that before this interview, and I thought, I mean, I've made some pretty colossal mistakes. I'm really good at making mistakes. I'm like, I'm maybe an expert in making mistakes. It usually involves the men I choose to date.
0: It's going to be a podcast too, people.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about uh, in between in book publishing, there was a brief window of time when I left and I went to work for a website and we're going to come full circle here. Cause it was a website They had offices in New York, but they were based out of Austin. Okay. And that was such a shit show. It was during, right before the dot com bubble burst. It was at the height of the dot com bubble. And that job, it was basically like an exercise in how to harass women. You know, it was so male oriented and it was so it was like such a toxic work environment for women. I think I was one of 3 women in the office. And um you know, was that a mistake? Wasn't a mistake. You know, it again it led to that weird I am always on this weird circuitous route. And the reason I left was because I was like, I can't I can't function in an office like this, like where I'm getting threatened and like mm. you know bosses are t- telling me I have to go out with them etc and so I laughed was that a mistake it wasn't a mistake I got to work for a you know when people talk about the dot-com bubble I have firsthand experience mm-hmm. you know I think I even saved the piece of paper that said how much my shares would be worth if I you know, if they vested.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember thinking, oh, one day I'm going to be rich because on my internet stock, shares will vest. Hmm. So that's, you know, like that's like kind of a cool experience. And it was one of the first search engines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So, you know, that was, I'm glad I did it. I it think... adds to the richness of my experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not whether or not you should have done it, but it's do we define that as a mistake? And- yeah,
1: exactly. And, you know, maybe I think the same thing about the men I date. Like, n- there might be a few that I would definitely list as mistakes, but hopefully they've been interesting learning experiences for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hopefully there's been and- a takeaway. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um I
0: absolutely agree. And, and that's something that I think likely makes you a better teacher as well. That, you know, not just that you have done all of these amazing things and have this breadth of experience, but the framework that you're bringing to it and how you share that with your students. That we, we will all go through the, this var- varieties of experiences and each of them will be able to. To help you in your career journey, a lot of my um, students. So oh, um, here I am talking, but just one, one thing that my no, students no no I is, like that like how what internship should I take because which yeah. is the one that I'm it's gonna I'm gonna like yeah and I'm like that's not the question <laughs> you know maybe it's the internship that you're you really hate that's gonna
1: yeah you the furthest. Yeah, no, the worst jobs can be the most informative. I had this job in book publishing, and I had this horrible boss. I mean, oh, God, was he the worst. Mm. But, you know, that was when I really realized, Pamela, you need to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. So thank God I got, if I just had a bunch of mediocre jobs in book publishing, and a few good ones that would have been one thing but because I had that awful experience I I got to question some things um and in terms of what that brings to the classroom is what we all need in all jobs is empathy like if you can bring empathy into the classroom and foster a sense of empathy in the classroom I do think learning happens at a much greater level and um I hope I bring that into the classroom and I think I, I think I do. That's one thing I don't, I, I don't have imposter syndrome about. I think I empathize pretty well.
0: Yeah. It's coming across. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: picking up on it.
0: Well, Pamela, I cannot wait until we talk again.
1: I and agree. This has been wonderful.
0: This has been wonderful and um, to all of you collab members, thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank you, Christy and CoLab support staff. This has been really fun.
1: Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have a, I have a question. I have a question to – I'm going to ask to all the listeners, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and tell me what you think I should do. Like, should I, oh. should I go for the gold? you know, I'm curious, or should I kind of like start a new chapter? Like, what am I doing now? Like, I think that the coronavirus has provided an opportunity for a lot of us to rethink what are we doing here? What are we doing? What where's the where's the path we want to
0: take spot on 100%. So this is super fun. Okay. Everyone read Pamela Roskins on LinkedIn. Thanks for being here for the Colab podcast every week, a new career story, follow us on Instagram and all social media channels at join the Colab or Kher Consulting and join us so you can record your own story.